Friday, September the 10th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden's big vaccine push and Biden and Xi talk. First, the world in brief. President Joe Biden laid out measures to increase COVID-19 vaccinations that cover 100 million people, almost two-thirds of the American workforce. Firms with more than 100 employees and medical facilities that accept government funding will be required to mandate jabs or regular testing of workers. Employees of the federal government's executive branch and contractors who do business with it will be required to get jabbed. Just 53% of eligible Americans are fully vaccinated. Mr Biden held a telephone conversation with Xi Jinping, China's president, which the White House said was part of an ongoing effort to, quote, responsibly manage the competition between the countries. The leaders of the world's two most powerful economies, unusually, have not met in person since Mr Biden took office in January. According to American officials, they agreed to engage, quote, openly and straightforwardly. China will auction an unspecified amount of crude oil from its secretive strategic reserves in order to counter inflationary pressure fueled by high commodity prices. Only domestic refiners will be invited to bid. It is the first time that China has announced plans to draw on oil stocks, although it has tapped state reserves of other raw materials. Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party threatened to pull out of the country's devolved power-sharing government, quote, within weeks if more border checks on goods moving to and from the rest of Britain are implemented. The largest unionist party dislikes the Northern Ireland Protocol, a controversial part of the Brexit deal, which has kept Northern Ireland within the EU single market, but created a customs border in the Irish Sea. The Biden administration sued Texas over the state's law banning most abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy, which took effect last week. The law allows citizens to sue anyone who, quote, aids or abets a procedure and gives them a minimum bounty of $10,000 if they win. The Justice Department contends Roe v. Wade, a Supreme Court precedent permitting abortion before roughly 24 weeks, renders Texas's law unconstitutional. The European Central Bank said it would reduce its emergency bond buying program instituted during the pandemic, citing, quote, favourable financing conditions and higher inflation. Currently, the bank purchases around 80 billion euros, 95 billion dollars worth of mostly eurozone government debt a month. It will do so at a, quote, moderately lower pace in future. The scheme will continue until at least next March. Ford said it will stop manufacturing cars in India. With accumulated losses of more than $2 billion in 10 years, a market share of just 1.6%, and an abysmal track record for not using its full manufacturing capacity, the American car maker has run out of gas. Jim Farley, Ford's boss, called it a, quote, difficult but necessary decision. General Motors' arrival left India in 2017. And fact of the day. 23% of Extinction Rebellion climate protesters in 2019 were over 56. Radicalism is seen as the preserve of the young. Yet often it is baby boomers who are these movements' foot soldiers. And now, here's today's agenda. Greater than ever. 
New York two decades on. Hours after the attacks of September 11th, 2001, Rudy Giuliani, New York's mayor, promised, quote, we're going to rebuild. For a long time, this seemed unfathomable. Nearly 3,000 people had been killed. Ground Zero, where the World Trade Center once stood, burned for months and disagreements among insurance companies, developers and politicians delayed the endeavor for years. Plans had to be redrawn when the police raised safety concerns. Michael Bloomberg, who was elected mayor two months after the attacks, considered rebuilding essential to keeping New York globally competitive. He asked businesses to stay, saying, quote, this is no time to leave the Big Apple. The rebuilding of downtown became a catalyst for development across the city. Tourism increased from 36.2 million in 2000 to 66.6 million in 2019, which by then supported 403,000 jobs across the city. The skyline and the city were remade, but a clear day still reminds many New Yorkers of that September 11th and all that was lost. Trunk calls. Geophone next. Today is the start of Ganesh Chaturthi, a Hindu festival celebrating the birth of the beloved elephant-headed god. It will also mark the launch of a gadget that should be ideal for filming and sharing the revelry. Reliance Industries' mobile network and digital platform, Geo, has partnered with Google to release Geophone Next, a budget smartphone for the Indian market. The 4G Android phone, which could later go on sale around the world, may cost as little as 3,500 rupees, $47 a pop. Reliance hopes that a high proportion of the 400 million or so Indians still using feature phones will go smart. That would benefit the firm's boss, Mukesh Ambani, who wants to flog more high-speed mobile data. Still, making a high-quality but dirt-cheap smartphone isn't easy. The coming 11 days of elephant god worship should be long enough to gauge if the Geophone Next packs as huge a punch as is anticipated. The Long Bourbon Hangover Catalonia While the world marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, Catalans will be marching to recall an older wound. The region, backed by the losing side in the War of Spanish Secession, Barcelona's fall to the Bourbons in September 1714, has been a sore spot ever since. In more recent years, the anniversary has been a show of force for separatists, with a movement of commemoration at 1714. But today's demonstration is expected to be smaller than those held before an ill-fated unconstitutional referendum for independence in 2017. That may suit both sides. The government and the separatist administration that won February's Catalan elections will begin talks this month. There is little room for compromise on the right to self-determination, which separatists claim and the government can never concede. But there may be ways to grant the region some more autonomy, including reinforcing the local government's power over education, language policies and culture. Election Jitters Argentina's Midterms Argentines will vote on Sunday in the first round of midterm elections that are seen as a referendum on the government of President Alberto Fernandez. The economy overshadows the pandemic as the number one issue. 
Annual inflation is at 50%. Unemployment is stubbornly high. And almost half the country lives below the poverty line. Factory in scandals, in the latest, the president was charged with holding a birthday party for his partner that broke his own decrees on gatherings during the pandemic. And campaign chiefs for both main parties detect, quote, a toxic mix of anger and apathy. All the same, polls suggest a tight race. The main opposition, United for Change, seems to have a slight edge over Mr. Fernandez's party, front for all. But don't rule out a bigger swing away from the incumbent. In 2019, a surprise landslide in the primary sealed the defeat of former President Mauricio Macri's government in the election proper. Some in Mr. Fernandez's camp fear a repeat. Footnotes Our New York correspondent on the city after 9-11 20 years after the devastating September 11th terrorist attacks in America, The Economist is reflecting this week on how the worst day in New York's history spurred the city's transformation. In some ways, America is worse off now than it was before September 11, 2001. More anxious, more polarised, less trusting. New York City, though, is better. For residents, rebuilding became a rallying cause. Rosemary Ward, who covers New York, wrote about how the resurrection of Lower Manhattan caused a transformation in the city's economy and architectural landscape. Two months after the attacks, Michael Bloomberg, a billionaire media mogul and then a Republican, was elected mayor. Dan Doktoroff, his deputy mayor for economic development and rebuilding, was instrumental in the redevelopment of Lower Manhattan. His book, Greater Than Ever, New York's Big Comeback, describes how almost half of the city was rezoned. Advocates claim this facilitated economic growth, critics that it fueled gentrification and inequality. This interactive graphic from the New York Times visualises the changes during Mr Bloomberg's tenure. Power at Ground Zero by Lynn Sagalin, a Columbia University professor known for her research on urban development, details two of the main influences behind New York's transformation, real estate money and political power. Silverstein Properties, which redeveloped much of the World Trade Center complex, launched a new podcast detailing the rebuilding. In New York City, the tragedy of 9-11 ushered in an era of reconstruction. But nationally and globally, it introduced a bloody, quote, war on terror. In his book, Reign of Terror, Spencer Ackerman, a journalist, argues that this era of destabilization is what ultimately enabled Donald Trump's ideology to take hold. Last, Roe recommends visiting the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. Its website also features moving oral histories. More analysis from Roe can be found on Twitter. Summer Quiz Week 8 This was the last week of our summer quiz. We randomly picked winners from hundreds of correct entries and are crowning one for each continent. First, the answers. The Los Angeles Dodgers are World Series champions. Nancy Mitford wrote The Pursuit of Love and Love in a Cold Climate. The Sykes-Pickett Treaty was, quote, a line in the sand between Britain and France in the Middle East. And Chubby Checker made The Twist famous. The theme connecting them all is the novel Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. Kudos and celebrations for our knowledgeable winners. Asia. Takeshi Osako from Tokyo, Japan. 
Africa. Rob Blair from Harare, Zimbabwe. North America, Phil Hayes from Pittsburgh, US. South America, Stelio Tolder from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Europe, Yvonne Fru from Woking, England. Oceana, Christine Capel from New Plymouth, New Zealand. This week, we had an astounding five entries from readers who claim to live in Antarctica. Many congratulations to Ala Osmond from Elephant Island. Thank you to this week's detectives. We plan to bring back the quiz in a few months' time to lift readers' spirits in the Northern Hemisphere winter. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Mary Wollstonecraft. Virtue can only flourish among equals. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.